tonight. Amen. I don't know about you, but it's my daily bread. Jesus said that this is what I live off of. I mean, if you were starving right now and I just placed a massive steak dinner right in front of you with all the sides, all the trimmings, I mean, five course meal, I mean, I highly doubt you'd be going, "Uh, bring it on. No, you'd be like, yeah, give me some of that. I don't even need a fork and a knife. I'm just going to pick it up and dig right in. Amen. And uh, so we're about to get fed right now spiritually. And um, so you need to be excited about that. Even on a Wednesday, I'm excited. I, I don't care what day it is. I just love to communicate truth. I love to be a studier of the word of God. And uh, it is valuable to me. Go to John chapter three, verse 16. John chapter three, verse 16. I want to look at a concept tonight of a generous church, a generous church. I believe that the church that God is planting, that God is designing, that God is building. Remember in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said that I will build my church. Okay, that's the first thing you got to understand. Jesus is building the church. You and I are not building the church. We are a part of it. We get to be co-laborers with Christ, Paul said. But it's not this is not our agenda. This is not what Pastor Mark and Ashley want to do. This is not what Pastor Earl and Marcy want to do. This is not what we come in here thinking we want to do. We've got to find out what does God say about his church. You know, there's two ways to look at the word of God. There's there's the suggestive side that says that God, when he says something about a certain subject, that he's identifying this is what I would like it to be. But it may not become that. But then there's the other side that that I believe uh, I call it the qualifying side. So we've got the suggestive side and then we've got the qualifying side. And I believe that uh, a lot of what Jesus said and a lot of what God said about things, he was actually given a qualification for. Meaning, if you do not meet the qualification, then maybe you aren't what you thought you were. And so when God is talking about his church. There's some things in the word that's like, well, man, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever get to be that. I mean, he, he says that he wants to present his church spotless and blameless in the last day. OK, so I can either choose that to be suggestive. This is what he would like it to look like, but maybe the church isn't really going to become that. Or maybe he's qualifying the church and saying, my church will be those that choose to be spotless and blameless before me. There's another one over in John chapter 17. We're getting a little off here, but it's going to help my presentation. John chapter 17, Jesus prays a prayer in the garden. He prays for three different things. He prays for his disciples. He prays for all believers. And then he prays for, he prays for the world as a whole. And when he prays for the church, he says this, I pray that they may be in in unity and be one as you and I are one. Who? God and Jesus. Well, were they one? Were they unified? Yeah, they were unified in everything. I mean, he thought like God thought. He talked like God talked. He responded like God. He didn't do anything without first getting with the Father. That's some unity. Well, does the church reflect that today? 
the answer would be no. And some people have called this the only unanswered prayer that Jesus ever prayed. Jesus prayed for his church to be in unity. That's the, that's the suggestive side, that he's suggesting that his church be in unity. But what if it's a qualification? If you're my church, you will be one. What if he's coming from that standpoint? That's a little more serious. Now we've got to take the word as it's not optional. That if I'm going to be the church that Jesus is coming back for in the last days, I've got to be in unity with the brethren. It's not an option. And we can no longer just say, well, you know, the church didn't make it to the whole unity thing, but he's coming back to get us anyways. Maybe he's coming back to get those that are unified around the word. I'm not just in unity because you and I agree on something. We're in unity because you and I agree on the word. Unity's around the word. There's many definite. Everybody wants to be in unity. And what most people mean is, I want you to agree with me. <laughs> Now, I want you to agree with the word. If I place the word in front of us between you and I, can we both agree that this word is communicating what it's communicating? That's unity. And so I believe that God is establishing in the last days a generous church. What does that mean? A church that is more motivated by giving than getting. A church that is more motivated by giving than getting. Now, just before our religious minds start wandering off and you start trying to figure out what I'm going to talk about tonight, just because I use the word giving, I'm not talking about money. Just go ahead and throw that out there. That's only one form of giving. So I just want to go ahead and cover that base so we don't have any, you know, checkouts. Oh, he's going down the money road. No, we're going down all of it. Because I believe that there are multiple ways the church can give in the last days. But I believe that God is coming back for a generous church. I believe he's establishing a church that is more motivated by giving than getting. Look at John chapter 3, verse 16. We all know this verse, but let's take a look at it anyways. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. That he gave what? His only begotten son. So he gave, not just gave, but gave something of very high value. Okay? I mean, we just celebrated Easter. We know what this giving is all about. But here's what we have to identify. Uh, and, and this is something we've kind of been looking at on a weekly basis. And it's just kind of been coming up that God's nature is our nature. So if it's God's nature to give, that means that it should be our nature to give as the church, as believers. That we should have within us instilled a desire to give away and to be more motivated and more focused on giving something than getting something. You know, a lot of us, when we go to church or when we, uh, you know, get into you know, opportunities like this, we're thinking about, I want to receive Something. When we go to conferences and stuff like that, I'm, I'm there to receive. I'm there to get. But I believe that there's a higher motivation for the church of God in the last days to be givers. To be focused on what am I giving away? So look at this. You were designed to be a giver. You were designed 
to be a giver. According to Genesis 1:26, we were created in his image, in his likeness. That means to function and operate like God in the earth. So that means that I have within me the ability to be a giver because God is a giver. God is more motivated by giving than he is by receiving. And now, does God receive things? Absolutely. The Bible says that he receives our praises. He receives our worship. He receives honor. He receives glory. Right? The Bible says that he receives things. But I believe that God is not up in heaven trying to find out everything that he can get. I think he's motivated by what can he give. What can I give away? What can I let go of myself that is of high value that will benefit somebody else? I'm going to try to say that again. I don't have that in my notes. That just came up by the Holy Spirit. But giving is letting go of yourself that will benefit. Letting go of yourself of something of high value that will benefit another. I'll say that again. Letting go. Of yourself, of something of high value, for the benefit of another. That was good. Why? Because we have to define giving. And you'll see here later on, I've actually got a passage where Jesus defines giving. That giving is not just letting go. Or giving... Something away. My son is real good at giving something to someone else of what he already has that he that he has more than one of. He's real good at that. He can share as long as he's got one of the same for himself. But when it means letting go of something that it's all I got and it's of high value to me, but I know that it'll benefit you. That's a little harder. But you know what? He's three years old, but some of us have never grown out of that. Some of us have, as adults, have never gotten past letting go of something else, letting go of something that's of high value to us for the benefit of someone else. But according to John chapter 316, that should be a part of our nature. That should be a part of who we are to give something, no matter how valuable it is to us, if it benefits someone else, letting it go. And God was motivated By the greatest demonstration of love in his giving. It's one thing to say you love somebody. It's another to show it. And you can show it at its greatest level when it's of high value to you. But you know it'll benefit them. Think about it. The world was lost. The world was dying. There was nothing that we could do to help ourselves. There was nothing that God could do to help us outside of sending himself in flesh. He knew that's the only thing. But that's going to cost me my most valuable thing. But he let it go. Something of high value to benefit someone else. And in return, he received something. And that's the key. Not even God Give stuff away without expecting a return. Well, I thought you said we're not supposed to be motivated by getting. Your getting will be motivated in your giving. 
The motivation is to give. But God is very clear in his word. If you give without expectation of a return, then you're missing it. God is very clear. Oh, I just I, I don't want anything. No, there is a return coming. God has set a law in motion back in Genesis of seed time and harvest. Seed time, harvest, reaping what you sow. And God is an investor. When he gave his son, Jesus, he wasn't just giving something and not expecting a return. Jesus put it this way. If a grain of wheat doesn't fall to the ground and die, how will you reap back more? This is the exciting part. God sowed his son into the earth and knowing that it would reap After its own kind. Are you following me? He sowed a son, S-O-N. And what did he reap back? Sons and daughters. Why? Because he's an investor. He knows if I put this one son in the ground and it's going to have to die. But I know that I'm going to reap back a harvest of children that will live for me. I will gain a whole family by letting go of one son. And so what's he doing? He's identifying what giving looks like. He's identifying what giving looks like. Amen. A generous person does not think about what he has lost, but rather what he has multiplied. A generous person. I'm talking about a generous church. I'm talking about a church that's willing to let go of something of high value for the benefit of someone else. But when you let go of it, they're not thinking about what they've lost. They're thinking about what has been multiplied. God, when he birthed his son into this world and then his son died, he knew I'm sowing. But because I'm a generous person, I'm not grieving at what I'm what I have lost. I'm excited about what I just multiplied by giving something of high value. Amen. And this nature is within us. This should be the motivation of the church to be givers. Not just focused on getting, not just walking in these doors, always concerned about what am I going to get tonight? I hope someone's got a word for me. I hope someone's got a word of encouragement. And can we encourage each other? Yes. But I'll tell you this. Some of the greatest people that I have seen walk out encouraged are the ones that found themselves encouraging someone else. You want a kind word? Sow a kind word. Find something to say that's nice about. What's that mean? That means that's something of high value. I'm just trying to I can't even conjure up nice things to say about myself, but I'm going to find something nice to say about you and watch how you'll walk out this door encouraged and edified. I believe that there is a greater sense of satisfaction in giving than there is in getting. I do believe that. And I believe many of you know that to be true. Have you ever noticed that people that get, they just end up in a cycle of getting. 
Because the getting never satisfies getting. No one ever gets something that says, man, I'm done. I, I don't want to get anymore. <laughs> no, what is it? It just develops a hunger that I, I need more. It's called greed. But people that give, man, they, they're some of the most satisfied people that I know on the face of the planet. Givers. Some of the happiest people that I know. And it, it's sad that in, in church, and I can say this with a huge smile on my face, with an absolute happy heart, that this church does not fall in line. But some of the meanest people in the world go to church. Some of the meanest, hardest, roughest people are in churches all across America. But not this church. I can say that honestly. That we have some of the God-honest, nicest people that I've ever met in my life. But I believe this because we have a different motivation. Because you'll get mean when you go somewhere to get and then you don't get. That's just disappointing. Isn't that sad? I mean, could you go and sit down at a restaurant, hungry, and just wanting a good meal, wanting someone to just serve you and, you know, keep your glass full and and bring out food when it's hot and bring it on time? Could you go there but be more motivated in giving something to them than getting something from them? And they could have done the worst job in the world, but you're still motivated by Giving. And so you find something nice to say to them. You find some way to bless them. And look, if you can't find something nice to say, then go to the word. Sometimes we just need to draw on the spirit that's inside of us because he's always got something nice to say. In fact, if you listen to him close enough, sometimes he'll give you a word for them that will meet a need in due season that you would never have come up with on your own. So instead of going there and just thinking about yourself and getting a meal and just having a good time and making sure that they keep your cup full and blah, 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 blah. You can go in and say, I'm just going to be a blessing tonight to whoever I come into contact. No matter how bad this person's day is, no matter how bad they treat me, no matter what they do. What's that? That's having a motivation of giving versus getting. That's what that is. And you are designed to be a giver. You are designed to be a giver and a generous giver never thinks about what he has lost. He only thinks about what has been multiplied. Amen. Look at uh, Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six. And verse thirty eight. Luke chapter six, verse thirty eight. Give and it will be given to you. See, I love how the kingdom works. The kingdom is opposite of this world. And so a lot of the way that we used to live and a lot of the patterns we used to behave by, uh, we have to flip them around. In the world, if you want to get, you keep. (laughs) I mean, you don't get more by giving of what you have in the world. That's not the word. If you go to anybody in the world and you say, how do I multiply this? Well, you got to hang on to it. But the kingdom works the other way around. The the kingdom says, if you want to get, then you need to give. You got to give. 
The kingdom flips that around. And so he says here, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use. It will be measured back to you. Look at this in the New Living Translation. Give and you will receive. That's not the motivation, but it's the expectation. That was good. That's not the motivation of my giving, but it's the expectation of my giving. If you got your tweeter out, there's some good stuff tonight. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down. See, you won't even just get half back. He's saying you'll get all of it back. Press down, uh, shaken together to make room for more. Can you handle more of what you already have? Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. If you always give, you will always have. If you always give, you will always have. God has a way of getting what he needs to his people that learn how to give. God knows how to get it to you. God knows how. He's got channels. He's got flows. He's got people. He's got lines. He's got everything he needs to get it to you. If you'll be a giver. Because the amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. If you always give, you'll always have. There's no doubt about it. Financially, in words, in joy, in peace, in resources. Watch this, in time. See, I got this this morning while we were in morning prayer. And this morning was probably the most tired that I've ever been. I mean, morning prayer, you know, that's, that can be kind of tough for some people. That might be an hour or two earlier than some people get up. I don't know. I don't know everybody's day schedule. But 6 a.m., I mean, you know, it's still dark. It's still dark out. But it's a sacrifice and it's an investment. And God gave this to me. He, he, he said, do you not think that if you come and spend time with me, I will find a way to energize you throughout the rest of your day? Do you not think I will find a way to rejuvenate you? Do you think that I'm going to, you know, take all the energy that you have, suck you dry in morning prayer and just leave you worthless for the rest of the day so you can't help anybody out? You can't even be, uh, you're falling asleep on the job. Well, I went to morning prayer. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Sorry. I, I, I went to morning prayer this morning. No, God knows how to make up for what you lost. Because you've only invested and it's being multiplied back to you. Way better than a cup of coffee will. Way better than going home and, and, or, or staying home and sleeping for that hour. Way better. 
God knows how to get it to you. For those that sacrifice and, and come to church when it's difficult, which is usually Wednesdays. Wednesdays are harder than Sundays. We all know this. But God knows how to redeem the time. He knows how to turn your sacrifice into an investment and multiply it back to you. Well, you thought you were saving time. Man, you know, I just, I, I, I just, I, I need to, I need to stay home tonight. I, there's just so much to do. I've got laundry, got to get ready for tomorrow, got to get, get the kids ready. And, and you'll find that you'll lose time that way. Where if you would have just given the time to God and say, God, I'm going to come give an hour, an hour, 15 minutes of my time on a Wednesday night to come hear the word, spend time with you, worship you, praise you, tell you how awesome you are, fellowship with other believers. Watch what he'll do on Thursday. Watch what he'll do on Friday. He knows how to redeem the time, people. Because you're a giver. And you need to know that. You need to know that, that you're not just, well, I'm just going to church. No, you're giving of your time. When you're over here serving, when you're serving in any capacity, and, and you're thinking, man, you know, I would really love to be in service, but I, I, I'm over here serving with the kids. You've got to realize I'm making an investment, and God knows how to multiply that back to me. I mean, I remember when I was down in St. Augustine and Pastor Earl and Marcy, before we went on staff, they, they asked us to help out with the kids. And, you know, it's always just a very, you know, open general statement. It's not all laid out there. Okay, you're going to be working every other Sunday and every other Wednesday. You'll be working twice a month. You're going to, there's eight services in a month. You're going to miss four. I mean, it doesn't come out like that. It's like, hey, can you help us with the kids? Oh, yeah, sure. And as you go on, it's like, oh, I see how it is. But I quickly learned I'm making an investment here. I'm not missing anything. And God knows how to redeem the time. God knows how to redeem my investment back to me, multiply it back to me. Because I'm in service to him. You need to know that you're not just over there serving and missing something. You're over there investing and it will be uh, rewarded to you. You will reap a harvest. You will know that. And it will make the times that you are in service that much greater. You'll receive that much more knowledge. You'll receive that much more impartation. You realize that you're actually at an advantage. Those that serve and those that are missing services, you're, you're almost somewhat to an advantage to those that don't really miss a lot because they don't have an expectation to draw like you do. It's amazing how, you know, when, when you don't have much of something, you really value what you do have. And those that only get... Four services a month where others are maybe getting six to eight. You've got a stronger draw and a stronger expectation because, you know, I've put something in. And look, when people make investment and when people deposit something, they make a demand. I worked at a bank and they knew if I put a thousand dollars in there, I had better be able to demand up to a thousand dollars. Don't tell me I can't have nine hundred dollars. Don't tell me I can only have 25 bucks. Oh, I'm sorry, there's a hold on it. This is going to fall off next Tuesday. No, I put a thousand in. They don't want to hear that. But in heaven, there is no hold on your investment. When you put something in, God is ready and waiting for you to draw and make a demand on what you've put in. 
But see, we only have a spending mentality. We don't have an investing mentality. I just spent time with the kids tonight. Just spent time over there. Just miss what Pastor Mark had to say. Everyone was talking about how good the message went. I was over there spending time with the kids. Well, then if you spent, then there's no return on that. No, you can't go to Target and say, hey, I, I bought this shirt here. It, was, it came out to $31.64. Um, it's been sitting, you know, it's been about a couple of weeks. Have I made any investment on that? Is there any interest on that? No, you didn't deposit. You didn't make an investment. So there's no draw. There's no draw on that. You spent the money. It's gone. Goodbye. See you later. And so we've got to change our mentality from spending to investing. And God says here that what you give determines what you get. Every time you give, a, you give a resource, you give a finance, you, you, you give a, a, of your time. You should, you should have an expectation to withdraw, to make a demand, to pull back on what was put in. Amen. Amen. Look at Second Corinthians chapter nine. Second Corinthians chapter nine. Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse six. These are all verses that we've heard before, but I hope that we're seeing in a different light tonight. I hope that we're seeing a different picture of what a giver looks like, a generous church. It's in your nature. See, sometimes the world, uh, well, not sometimes, all the time, the world has supplanted our original nature. It's covered it up. And that's why uh, Paul said we have to renew our minds. Why? Because you are operating in an unnatural way. See, it's unnatural for you as a believer to just go around the world and go around life just trying to get. That's unnatural. And so we've got to learn to fall in line with our nature. Look at verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful means willing. Willing. That word cheerful means good-natured. Willing. Good-natured. That word has this connotation to it. It means that I get enjoyment out of it. I enjoy giving. I enjoy giving. Just for the sake of giving. I mean, he says here, don't even give because you need to. You know, somebody asked me that one time. He said, you know, isn't it, isn't it a commandment in the Bible? You know, that we're supposed to give the tithe, we're supposed to give 10%. I said, no, it's not, not a commandment at all. I mean, there's over 650 commandments in the Old Testament. That's not one of them. There's all kinds of sacrifices. There's all kinds of do this and do that. And then we know the Ten Commandments. 
but that's, that's not a commandment. They were tithing way before anybody told them to tithe. Go back to Abraham. We're only, you know, 12, 13 chapters into the book and he's already giving 10%. I mean, go with Cain and Abel. They were giving off of what they had received. There's no command. Because when you dumb it down to a command, then you only receive the reward of a command. I obeyed. Thank you for being in obedience to the command. But no, when you give cheerfully, willingly, with a good-natured heart, getting enjoyment out of it, knowing that I'm doing this because I desire to be a giver. It is a part of my nature to give. And so if I sow sparingly, well, then I'm going to reap sparingly. If I put a little bit here and put a little bit there, and put, then I know that when it comes time to reap, I'm not going to be able to just draw. I'm going to reap just as I put it. But when I sow bountifully, then I can reap bountifully. And you know you want a bountiful crop. You can't sow sparingly and reap bountifully. Notice the two don't line up. I can't scatter seed and then expect to just have this great increase of harvest. Doesn't match. Again, the getting is determined by the giving. And so we've got to identify this, that God loves a cheerful giver. Let's keep going. Verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God knows how to get to you, to supply to you what you need, what is sufficient. See, we, we get worked up on the whole prosperity stuff. We think prosperity means you, you've got a Cadillac and a boat and a two-story house and a, a lake house down you know, on the coast. and That's not prosperity. Prosperity literally means enough. Enough. Do you have enough? See, again, disappointment is the result of unmet expectations. So if you're expecting to give your tithe and your offering, and you're expecting to have this huge thing that is most of it you don't even need, it's just sitting around, well, that's, that's a wrong expectation. The expectation is prosperity. The expectation is being prosperous. What does that mean? That means I have enough. I've got enough. And so uh, he says that God is able to make all grace about you, always having in all sufficient or having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed the broad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us. 
to God for the administration. This is why God wants to get it to you. God wants to get it to you because he wants to get it through you. You are blessed to be a blessing. Look what he says here. This is why he wants to get you all sufficient. This is why he wants to get all grace to abound towards you. Verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through the proof, everybody say proof, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. The giving church, the generous church, is a revelation of the gospel of Christ to the world. Do you realize that when we operate in generosity, when we operate in a giving mentality instead of a getting mentality, we are a picture of Jesus to the world. See, it's way bigger than you. It's way bigger than you. You thought you were giving you. You thought you were putting tithe in so you can make your rent payment here in a couple days. But it's bigger than that. You thought that, uh, you know, you were, uh, you know, helping that person out in line. At the grocery store. You know, so one day God can take care of your groceries. You were just a picture of Jesus to a lost person. It's bigger than that. God isn't motivated by money. God uh, doesn't even need money. God didn't need money in Genesis chapter 1, and he still doesn't need it. He uses it because that's what the world has come to. I mean, you know, I ask the question all the time. If you don't have gas in your car, which is better? Somebody giving you 50 bucks to fill up your tank or somebody filling up your tank? Why does the money have to play any factor? Why does the $50 have to come into my hand to be a blessing? No, the blessing is in just having, giving. Or what if you went out to your car and the the gauge went from E to F? Miraculously. But we... The money one is the blessing, right? Someone gave me 50 bucks today. I was able to get gas. But God has multiple ways to get it to you. But he wants to get it to you so he can get it through you for the administration of service. So it will be proof of our ministry. What's that ministry is proclaiming. And now the proof of it is in my giving, in my serving, in my sowing. He's looking for a giving church. Verse 14. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I want to read this passage real quick in the New Living. Going back to verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. The one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Verse 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, look, we are ditch people. Church people love to get in the ditch. So one wants to say, you know, it's all about the giving. And the other one says, well, it says, you know, don't give and don't give in response to pressure. I'm just not going to give. 
No, that means give with the right motive. The giving is still required. Now we're not talking about what, we're talking about how. Verse 8. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to what? Share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. You will be remembered more for what you give than for what you gained. In the kingdom. In the kingdom. Your status is noted by what you gave versus what you gained. Let's keep, let's keep going. Verse 9, I think it is. Verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. He provides seed to the sower. That means he will give you what you need to give. Why? Because he wants to get it through you. You are his channel of investment because he knows if I can get this to you, then I can get it through you and then I can get a return. On my investment. That's why he wants to bless you. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. And then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. The point, the motivation of getting the great resources is so you can be a better giver. The better you are at getting, the better you'll be at giving. So he wants to get it to you so he can find a way to get it through you. He wants to get it in your hands so you can find a way to give it away. Verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. God is going to position you to be generous. If you will have a heart to be a giver, he'll find a way for you to give. You see this. It's in your nature to be generous. So he doesn't want you to just have enough that takes care of yourself. God didn't design us to be inward focused, even with our money, even with our things, even with uh, our lives. He wants us to have enough so that we can always be in a position to give away when needed. There's a, a pastor named Bill Winston in Chicago. Uh, he's done very well financially. He's a businessman as well. And there was a service uh, that I was watching. He was at someone else's church and he was preaching and um, uh, uh, he, he wanted to read a verse in a different version. So he asked, does anyone have the amplified version, whatever version it was? And someone came down and read it and he pulled out of his pocket a wad of cash And he undoes one and says, here's a hundred dollars. So that means every one of those was a hundred. I mean, it's the wad of a hundred dollar bills. And he walks away and he goes, poor people can't do that. Poor people can't do that. What's he saying? 
He's saying, if you live a life where you're only focused on what you have, you'll never be in a position to be able to give away. Don't you want to be in a position where you have so much that you could give away? That should be the mentality. Not to store up. Jesus even talked about that guy. Talk about that farmer that built more barns to what? Store up. The only time that God ever told anybody to store up something was so that they could later give it away. Joseph. Be seven good years and seven bad years. In the seven good years, store up. Get the grains full. Get the barns full. So when the bad years come, you've got what? Something to give away. I need you to be able to be generous. God doesn't just want to take care of your needs. He wants to take care of everybody's needs through you. Do we see this? And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank who? Look, when the church is truly generous, God will get all the glory. Not you. You're not going to be lifted up. Oh, look what so-and-so did. No, God will get the glory. God will get the glory. Amen? Verse 12. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. That's amazing what a generous church will do. A generous church will be a light in darkness. Not a greedy church, not a stingy church, a generous church. Amen. Last verse, look at Luke. Mark, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Jesus does something here that would probably shock a lot of Christians. If any pastor ever did this, I don't know that they would go to this church. But Jesus did it in verse 41. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the. How would you like it to to be given your tithe and offering in the offering bucket and Jesus standing right there watching what you're doing? (laughs) What what, what are you doing? How much are you giving? (laughs) Standing right there, sat opposite the treasury. But look at what it says here and saw how. The people put. Not what? Not how much. He saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Jesus knew how to take up an offering. (laughs) He knew how to give it. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. These two Coins only made up half of a cent. That's it. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. And here's the key. For they all put in out of their abundance. 
But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had her whole livelihood. Giving is letting go of something that is valuable for the benefit of another. Valuable. See, value isn't just in the dollar. It's relative to what you have overall. Say, we we can have a wealthy businessman come in here and give $10,000. But they may have needed that $10,000 for something else. But we're obedient to God to give it. And we could have, uh, you know, uh, 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 a single mom with young kids at home that's, you know, on welfare, barely making it and giving 25 bucks. But it's all that she had. It's literally the tithe that she made that week. It's still the same to God. It's not in the dollar amount. It's not in the what. It's in the how. God is looking at the how, not the how much. And I find it interesting here that Jesus didn't return the coins back to the widow lady. He didn't dig back in there and said, I know this is all you have, so. Why? Because he would have robbed her from the reward. <laughs> See, we think, oh, that poor lady, she should have just hung on to it. She, I mean, if that's all you have, you should just keep it, Right? That's not what Jesus, he didn't dig back in there and say, now look, I know this is the last two coins you have. So here, keep this for yourself. I know your heart. Isn't that what we say? God knows my heart. God knows I wanted to give 40 bucks, but I only had, I, 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 I just, 40's all I had, so I just gave him 20. I need the other 20. God knows my heart. <laughs> yeah. You're right. He does know your heart. He does know your heart. God is looking. I mean, I I say this all the time that God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. But the problem is, is your heart is attached to the money. That's the problem. I can't give him my heart without letting go of the time. I can't give my heart without letting go of the finance. I can't give my heart without letting go of the resources that I have. I mean, people have blessed this church in multiple ways. We have people here that give and give substantial amounts. We have people uh, that are here that give of their time. When they could be doing other stuff in the middle of an afternoon, coming up here and helping clean or helping build stuff or helping put things together. I mean, the water baptism stuff that you saw, that was a product of people's time. That didn't just come together because we all say, hey, let's get together and do a really good Easter service. There were people here on Saturday mornings at 9 and 10 a.m. when some of us were probably still in bed. Running over worship songs over and over and over and over. And it seemed tedious. But the power of God was in this place. There was a demonstration and there was a giving that took place. There's people that give in areas of service and expertise. I mean, the walls that are up there next door is because a man came all the way up here from St. Augustine, Florida, spent Seven days here in someone else's house, didn't get paid a dime financially and put those walls up in one week because they had an area of expertise. 
an area of skill. See, we're the ones that limit what God can do through us. Well, I don't have a, uh, I can't play an instrument. I'm not a real good speaker. Well, are you great with kids? Are you a good, uh, you know, one-on-one communicator with people? Just love opening up to people and, 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 and people can share with you and just be, being a blessing? Are you a businessman and, and wise with your money and wise with your investments and able to uh, help the kingdom of God uh, through finances? I mean, we've got to open up. We've got to uh, get a better idea. Do you have a skill or a talent in a certain area that can bless the church? I mean, for those of you that have gone, just about everybody in here has gone through Vision Partnership. You received a packet when you came to Vision Partnership and it had all kinds of things. What are the things that you're good at? Gardening is on there. Carpentry is on there. Photography is on there. Videography. Graphic design. Those things are listed on there. Why? Because those are areas you can be a blessing to the church. And so we have to quit being a people that give and think about what we lost. We have to be a people that give and look at what we have gained. What have we multiplied? What do we have in excess of? What do we have in overflow of? Because I am a giver. Because I am generous. God is looking for a giving church. God is looking for a generous church. Not a church that is stingy. Not a church that is tight. Not a church that is holding back grudgingly. It has to be ripped out of your hands just for you to give. God is looking for a church that will be generous. That will choose to meet the needs of the world. Amen. We've got to be a generous church. Father, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you for your love and that you are motivated by giving. You are motivated by giving something of yourself, something of value that will benefit another. Father, open up our eyes. Open up our eyes. Help us see ways that we can be generous Ways that we can be a giver. It may simply be dropping a kind note to someone that we know is going through a tough time. It may be giving financially. It may be giving of a resource. Something that we have. For the benefit of another. Father, you have designed us to be givers. It is in our nature to be generous. And so we give you opportunity to give through us. Tonight we change our mentality. We're no longer spenders. We're investors. We're no longer putting things in with no expectation. We are motivated to give with an expectation to receive. Father, I thank you that you're going to cause all abundance to come to us. You will provide seed to the sower. If we show ourselves to be a sower, you will put seed in our hands to sow. And I thank you that you will honor your word. And that we honor your word. We're in agreement with you to be generous. To be a generous church. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen.